Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. I want to start today's message by asking a question. What do you want to know about hell? What do you want to know about hell? Some people might have a lot of questions about hell. Others may be like, I don't want to hear anything <laughs> about hell. And let me just also say that beginning this topic, that when we had our last core team meeting, everyone voted that they wanted to learn about hell. So this isn't just Homer wanting to come back after not preaching for a whole month and just do hellfire and brimstone. All right. Let's read this verse real quick. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, it says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. The highway to hell is broad. Today's title is What the Hell? Look at your neighbor and say, What the Hell? It's the only time you're allowed to say that in church. What the Hell? You know, when we, we have so many ideas about hell, what the hell are we really talking about? And some believe hell to be this place where it's just like, it's just this giant party where everyone's having a good time and all the people that, that know how to party go to hell. And so we all just party it up in hell. Like the devil knows what he's doing. It's going to be like a giant Jay-Z concert. Not that anyone that listens to Jay-Z is a sinner going to hell. It's just because uh, they're off the chain, right? Anyone been to a Jay-Z concert? <laughs> but I want to start off with this idea about hell by understanding really the meaning of hell in the Bible. Let's, let's connect hell to the Bible alone for a second and really understand what it means. And everyone has different ideas of what hell is. And for me, recently, I think that hell just might be a room full of babies crying and it's your job to put them to sleep. I'm just saying. <laughs> and maybe just to, just to mess with you, the devil tells you after you put them to sleep, you can take a nap. And anyone that has a child or a baby knows you're never going to get that nap. <laughs> um, I told my wife that joke before we got here and she told me that that wasn't a good joke to say. But I thought that you guys would understand. <laughs> um, Let's talk about the meaning of hell. First, let me be the, the one to tell you that I'm, I'm not going to project to you guys that I know 100% of what I'm talking about. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, I'm, I want you guys to understand that I'm giving you guys what um, a, a, a general study of hell and that you can go a lot more in depth, but I want us to scratch the, surfa- the surface. And so there are actually several different Um, words that describe hell translated to hell in the Bible. Um, But we're going to look at the major three. We're going to look at the three major translations of hell um, that we see in the Bible. And it, what's, what's interesting about what we're going to talk about. We, we brushed over this in the Bible study this last Wednesday. Um, In the old King James version Bible, they, they were, they were so limited on on resources and limited even on um, scriptures that were available at the time that all of these words in the old King James version are translated into hell, but in newer translations and versions, they're not all translated to hell. 
th- these are what are separating and these these what I'm about to share with you. And there's some who believe that that's why the old King James Version is the only Bible that you should ever listen to because it says hell more times. Um, that is a, a, a farce. That is a, a, a long stretch to go because the scriptures that, that have been discovered in recent times after the old King James Version date back farther than the, script, the, the documents that were used in translating the old King James Version. So they're even more reliable and more closer to the actual dates of history that things were happening than the old King James Version. Not, not even to mention that there's, um, at the time, there's about 50 people that were working on translating um, and, and compiling the old King James Version. Well, now there's, there's hundreds, and, and I would even say thousands of people that work at doing this. And so the, going into the different meanings of where we see this idea of hell in the Bible, first is quabar, quabar. Um, you might, it might need to be pronounced differently, but just, I'm going to butcher it. This is a Hebrew word and it means the grave. It's talking about a bodily death and it taught every time that's used, it's referenced to here on earth. So this is, this is what's referenced just as simple as it sounds, the grave. Old King James would translate it to hell, but we see this as the grave, the grave. And it's as simple as that. It's the, it's the physical death of man. And it's a bodily form, and it's here on earth. Now let's look into more popular uh, of where we're going to really get into the nitty-gritty. And that's Sheol and Hades. And, he, uh, and it's actually pronounced Hades. Sheol is the Hebrew terminology. Hades is the Greek terminology. This is both referencing a type of hell that we see in the Bible and Every time that it's referenced, it's referenced, uh, it's usually referenced with it being a temporary holding place, a, a soul deep. So this is like a, this is where our souls would go, our spirits would go past our bodily form. And it talks of it being an immediate and present place to go. And so we're going to stop here for a second as we explain the depths of this. Uh, the idea of separation of of hell and of of hell and sheol is that the belief that sheol this temporary place is is where souls go as they wait for the final judgment day which is the hell as we know it and um we're gonna get to that place next but before we do so there's a final hell right now sheol and hades we're talking about the temporary holding place also references hell sometimes and so there's two different major beliefs of Sheol and Hades. One idea is that it's a, a holding place where just like hell, it's a conscious state that people go and that, it's, that, that it still has suffering and it still has, um, it's still darkness, gloomy. It's a bad place to be. And it's a belief that when Jesus went down to uh, when Jesus died, it says that he went down to the, to the earth. It says that he went to Sheol or Hades. So meaning that he did not go to the final judgment place of hell, which will, again, we're going to get to in a minute, which is Gehenna. And Gehenna, uh, 
again, like I'm saying, is the final place is hell. Hell as we know it. It's the lake of fire. That's the eternal final spot. Sheol and Hades are the holding place. Now, it's believed that Je- one idea is that Jesus went down to Sheol and he was there for three days. That he, When it says that he set the captives free, it's the idea that he set the captivity of God's people in Sheol to where now, they're, now as we're waiting final judgment, that their temporary holding place is now in a, a more heavenly paradise. It's the only time that Jesus repre- uh, references paradise. And he tells the thief on the cross that, that uh, tells Jesus to remember him. And Jesus looks at him and says, today I tell you that you'll be with me in paradise. And so it's believed that Jesus, when he went down and set the captives free, that he was setting that captivity holding place of God's people to be in paradise awaiting heaven rather than Sheol waiting hell. And so it's almost like this idea of like a, a first hell, second hell, first heaven, second heaven, um, with the earth being this middle place uh, that, that is like our testing of which way we're going to go. Now, I'm telling you that there's one belief that, is, uh, that we're conscious during this place, and the support for that is in 2 Peter 2.4, it says, for God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, which it, in this term it's Tartarus, and gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day, the day of judgment. So this is Peter talking, like almost showing a compartmentalized hell to where even a separate place for angels and demons go in this waiting place where he says they're going to hell, but not the final judgment of hell. And so it's this idea that there's still, it's all, if you want to look at it as sin is our crime, hell is the ultimate punishment, this Sheol, Hades place, is, the, is like the holding cell uh, while we're waiting for our parole. Does that make sense? It's, it's where we're waiting for judgment uh, in the cells. That's, what, that's, the, that's this idea. And that it's conscious, you're able to see it in everything. Now, there's another belief is that uh, this other belief that we are simply, it's almost like a sleep-like state until we go into the final judgment of hell. And some, there's some that believe this idea that uh, as soon as you die, you wake up and it's judgment day. As you're waiting, you're in he- uh, Hades or Sheol, but you're not in a conscious spot. And since you're absent of time, you just wake up and it's judgment day. And then you d- get uh, told whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. Now, the, some people believe that this is a sleeping, the sleeping state where we're not really waiting. We don't really feel it. We're just waiting for this final judgment. The people who believe that, some of the scriptures, why they believe that is because um, Jesus consistently referenced people being asleep after they die. Um, even the disciples are references being asleep until after uh, until the resurrection. There's another moment in the Old Testament where Saul, the king of Israel, goes to a medium to seek advice from Samuel, the dead prophet. And when she calls up his spirit, um, he says, who's disturbed me? It's almost as if he's saying, why did you wake me up? And so there's this idea that we're just simply asleep until final judgment. I'm going to leave it up for each of you to decide what you believe, um, whether we're conscious during this holding spot or whether it's simply asleep. Um, the good news is that both, refer, uh, both reference Jesus setting us free to where as Christians we're in this paradise state rather than a hell state. Um, but now looking at this final meaning of Gehenna, 
This is the final judgment hell. This is the lake of fire. This is what we see in Revelations consistently. And it is the final end spot. And uh, this, this place, as we go into what, it, what this place is, this final place is a place of punishment. Let me read y'all Revelation 20, 12 through 15. The lack of understanding of hell leads one to, uh, uh, one to think that this place will be filled with pleasures of sin instead of punishment of sin. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 12 through 15, it says, I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done. As recorded in the books, the sea gave up its dead and the death and death and the grave gave up their dead and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, let me reiterate that today is not a fire and brimstone message. This is not to like scare anyone to Jesus or I'm not trying to tell you guys get uh, get right or get left, get sanctified or chicken fried. Um, that this is just the reality of of the place that hell is described as. It's a place of of punishment. It's also uh, it's a place where every every crime is supposed to be paid for. The way that God describes Himself is as a judge, a righteous judge, and that He can't acquit the guilty or condemn the innocent. And so. This place of punishment, even though at first glance, it's like, well, why would God send anyone to hell? Well, I'm, I, I don't know about you guys, but there are crimes that need to be punished. I mean, we think of the most extreme crimes. But like for me, if I think of a, a say, a person that rapes a child and then slaughters them, I would imagine that that deserves punishment. Don't you? Uh, even it, when we just look at um, other other wicked acts against humankind, we see like, oh yeah, they need to be punished. There, there needs to be punishment for the crime. But when it's us, when it's something, what we see as small, like a speeding ticket, we're like, come on, officer. You got to let me off easy. This isn't that big of a deal. But how many of you guys have tried to talk your way out of a ticket? And the officer seems, it just seems like it's the most serious thing in the world at that moment. It's like, you're seriously going to give me a ticket? I was going five over. It's like, yeah, well, that's why the speed limit is there. It's like, dude, you need to chill out, okay? You're taking your job way too seriously. The truth is, we're just taking their job way too lightly. And that's the way we take hell. As we look at hell as a, a place, that's only where the worst of the worst go. That's where, like, yeah, Hitler should probably go to hell. Yeah. You know, uh, John Wayne Gacy, yeah, he could go to hell. Like, yeah, these serial killers send him to hell, God. But little old me? <laughs> Come on. And... We don't see our, our crimes as needing to be punished. But God is described as this holy God that is so holy that, that he, cannot, he cannot allow sin and inequity into heaven. It's a place without stain and sin is a stain. It's, it's equivalent to would you, uh, letting someone that's covered in filth uh, and covered in, in poop and mud and everything go into your nice home and rub themselves all over everything. Everything they touch would become dirty. But uh, you would have them hose off outside, right? Get clean outside and say, hey, look, I'll give you a change of clothes and everything. I'll give you a towel. I'll, make, I'll help you out, but you can't come in here like that. Well, you know, that's what God has provided for us through Jesus. And so when we see that hell is, is this place of punishment, 
We also see that this place is a place absent of God's presence. I think this is the most important aspect of hell that people don't realize. In, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, They will be punished with eternal destruction forever, separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. There's, other, there's another story in the Bible where it describes Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man goes to hell and begs Moses, send Lazarus down here to, to wet my, my tongue with water because I'm, I'm just dying in this heat. I can't take it anymore. And Moses says, there's this great chasm between us. I can't go down to you and you can't come up to us. And what's described hell is not this, this everlasting punishment forever. We see that. But what we miss is that it's a place that's the only place in the universe that is absence of God's presence. And so let's look at it as a relationship view. We see that God tells us that he loves us, right? And if hell is a one place without God, he's not sending anybody there. He's just not forcing anyone to be with him. This, this absence of God's presence is only found in hell. And hell isn't going to make anybody that doesn't want to be with him stay with him. He's not, he's, not a, he's not an abusive relationship. He's not going to make you stay when you want to leave. And it, the, the thing that goes with it, though, is that God is good. Only God is good. Jesus tells us only God is good. And if God encompasses goodness, then that means that hell is not going to have anything good in it. The opposite of good is what? Pain, misery, evil. Death, none of that is of God. And so we see hell as being the one place that's absent of God's presence. Y'all dig me? Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so understanding all this, one thing that we have to look at is a reality. The reality is that God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. Did you know that the Bible says that God doesn't even take pleasure in punishing the wicked? In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, it says, Do you think that I see wicked that I like to see wicked people die? says the sovereign Lord. Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Can I just can we just think about that for a minute? Think about someone that you hate with all your soul. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't hate anyone, but their name popped up in your head. <laughs> And as much as you hate that person, that's, how, that's a, an idea of what sin is like to God. It disgusts him. But he, do, he sees even the wicked, the most wicked, vilest person as someone that has hope. And how does, he, how does he go about himself trying to reach that person with hope? How does he see even a shed of light in the darkest soul? He sends Jesus to give him that person a chance. Now, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm sure that multiple times in my life, maybe even right now, I've been that one, that person that someone has hated with all their heart, with all their soul. That they despise me. That even the mention of my name makes them cringe. And I am so undoubtedly grateful that God has made a way for a wicked person like me to have a second chance, to have hope. That God would see 
even just an, a, a smidge of light in the darkness of my soul, that, that kind of love is so overwhelming. The minute that I realized that hell was a real place, that I deserved to go there, but that Jesus made a way to where I didn't have to, I knew at that moment the things that I did in my life were not glorifying to God, were not helpful to people, but I went out of my way to hurt people, to seek revenge, to do what was wrong, even though I knew it was wrong. And that God saw that and said, you just don't understand yet how much I love you, how much greater it is to be in my presence than in this world. And the Bible says in the book of Romans that it's by his kindness that he draws us to repentance. Think about that. This God is so loving that he could, he could slam dunk any one of us to hell and it would be righteous. And yet he could force us, make us beg on our knees And yet he says it's by his kindness that he draws us to repentance. You ever wanted God to show you a sign with a lightning bolt? You ever cuss out God in your head, maybe out loud? You just want to get Jesus and shake him by the shoulders and say, why? And it says that his kindness draws us to repentance. He could backhand us and it'd be okay. It'd be good judgment. (laughs) But it says by his kindness, he draws us to repentance. You know, when we first moved down here to start our church, we we did this one event called Free Hugs, and we went down to the Alamo, and we just had these cardboard signs that said Free Hugs on them. And it was really dope. Everyone that came up that got a, a free hug, we gave them a little scripture card just to encourage them. And it had a Bible reference, said something like, don't, don't let your anxiety steal your day. God loves you. God, God will make it work out. God hears your prayers, things like that. And it just had a little scripture reference. And we'd give out little compact Bibles to people that came up. And when we're trying to decide where are we gonna, I've never did this before. I was like, well, I don't know where we're gonna set up. Let's just drive downtown and see. And I found the perfect spot because right on the corner, up near the Alamo where we decided to set up shop was another group of people and they had a big sign that said hellfire <laughs> and they had they were all suited up three-piece suit and they had a little microphone on their belt a little uh, voice box and they were just yelling at people you're going to hell you need to repent girls put some clothes on you're going to hell <laughs> things like that they're just going off and so when I saw them, I was like, oh, that's a perfect spot to set up. Those people are going to need a hug after you're walking by them. And, and we just set up, and there were so many people that came up, some people crying, especially when we gave them a card. There's some people that said, can you pray for me, please? We need to pray. We had little prayer circles going on. And we sowed so many seeds of God's love because it's by his kindness and his love that draws people to repentance. While these jokers over there are yelling the traditional hellfire brimstone, you're going to hell, evil people. And 
at the end of it, said, come on, guys, let's go give those people a hug. We need to show them God's love. And as we were walking up, I had my little sign shaking it, free hugs. And the guy saw me and he zeroed in. And he looked at me and said, you're going to hell. (laughs) I said, hey, man, (laughs) we're Christians, dude. (laughs) I don't care. You need to repent. You're going to hell. I said, well, we're we're just showing people the love of God. And said, well, your son should say repent. You're going to hell instead of free hugs. I said, well, while you're out here telling people how wicked and evil and sick they are, we're just telling them who the doctor is. Telling them who has the real love, who has the real cure. And we as Christians have made it so difficult for people to go to church. As a whole. We... When they gave me their little flyer, I didn't even want to take it into my house. I thought it was so... I thought those guys were demonic entities, to be honest. I think they were hecklers of Satan, not uh, preachers of the good news. <laughs> and, but so many people claim this identity of Christian. They claim Jesus, and yet they sound like wolves when they speak. It's more people that are... More quote-unquote Christians trying to win an argument than they are trying to win someone's soul. The Bible says that we're supposed to be like sheep following a shepherd. I don't know if you've ever seen a sheep, but I've never been intimidated or scared by a sheep. They look like harmless animals. They're cute, precious. But it says that There are some who are disguised as sheep, but they are really wolves. How can you tell a wolf in sheep's clothing by how vicious they are? And we as Christians have been behaving like wolves, vicious to our neighbors. Not only outside in the world, but even in our own churches. We've been vicious to people, vile. And... I feel like with today's message, what the hell is going on in church? What the hell is going on with Christians? To where either we treat people like crap or we just ignore them until they go away. Let me read y'all some verses. In Romans 3, 22 through 23, it says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, for everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So that means that I suck, you suck, we all suck. You've made mistakes, I've made mistakes. The person you hate the most has made mistakes. But God in our mistakes loved us. And that's why the Bible says, Jesus says, That you'll be known by the way you treat one another. I think that we've been showing as as Christians. I'm not just talking about us in this room. I'm talking about Christians. Us. We're all in the same boat. We've been showing as if we just got back from hell. And yeah, a lot of Christians, it feels like we're hell on earth sometimes. The things that we go through. But we treat other people like we just got back from hell and we're ready to show them what it's like. 
And we need to understand that every single one of us has made a mistake. And why should we love somebody that we despise? Because in the same way Jesus died for you on the cross, he died for that person on the cross. It's hard at first to understand that God loves that person so much that he would die for them on the cross. But when you understand that he did it for you too, you start to realize. The only point that you can get to is when you recognize that hell's a place that we were all meant to be. That hell was a place that we were all destined to go. But God. But Jesus made a way. And when you realize that you are saved by this verse, it says by your faith in Jesus Christ alone. That you can't earn it. That, you, that we are simply not just good enough, but because God's love is so great that that's how we get out of this horrible crime. We, we, need, to, we need to change the way we, we behave. We need to change the way we treat others. And I'll be the first one to say that I'm, and I've said this before, I am so tired of church not being a church that I want to go to. And this is biased, of course, but Gravetop is the first church I've felt so accepted and loved at. And I've been in ministry for nine years. And this is the first time I felt accepted like that. How many more people are going to continue to give church another chance if that's the way it is? You think someone's going to just long it out for nine years? And say, well, eventually the church will get better. There's sometimes where this is someone coming here to our church. That might be their only chance to see a glimpse of God's love and grace. And in Luke 24, verse 47 through 48, it's this Jesus right before he ascends to heaven. says, it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Jesus made us witnesses of God's goodness, of God's mercy, of God's grace of God's love. And if we do not testify of this truth that we found, we are withholding, we are stealing a truth from somebody else. Did you know that even in court, if you withhold your your testimony of a reality, of a truth, that you'd be held in contempt, that you would be prosecuted? And here we are holding, withholding not only by our voice, but our actions. This amazing love that we found that saves people from the realities of hell. I don't want any human being to go to hell. Well, maybe if I were to be honest, a couple. But that's just my own wickedness saying that. There's, the reality is that God doesn't want any human being to go to hell. Now, in fact, when the devil brought sin into this world by tricking Adam and Eve, That the devil's mindset was, well, now I'm going to bring them to hell with me. Take that, God. That was the devil's middle finger to God because he knew he was destined to the final judgment of hell. But you know what God did? He created forgiveness for mankind. It's the most amazing thing that God invented forgiveness just for us. 
so that we don't have to go to this place that we're talking about, this place absent of God's love. Because all along, God is just bringing us back to that garden moment where he could walk with us and talk with us and be with us. And how are we, how are we going to be able to face God on that day? When he asks, well, what happened to all those other people that you could have brought with you? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. God, you are so good in your mercy and your love and your compassion. We can't even fathom how good you are, how loving you are. And we could spend our, the rest of our lives searching and, and running after you. And Lord, you describe yourself as an all-consuming fire. A fire that is so passionate, that is so amazing and love that it consumes every part of our life. And Lord, today we want to surrender to you and not hold back any part of ourselves from your love. This hell that we read about, I think the scariest thing about it is that it's a place without your presence. God, because even in my sinfulness, even in my, my foolishness, when I run away, when I do dumb things, and I feel like I am not worthy, when I feel guilty, and I feel like I do not deserve any part of you, you give me a taste of your presence. And even in the hardest moments of my life, just a moment in your presence has given me hope and feeling and I can't imagine a place of hopelessness such as hell. With all that being said, with every eye closed and head bowed still, if you're here today and you realize that you need to, to go to God, that you need to go to Jesus for this new life, this different direction, Maybe you at first thought hell was just a place where the pleasures of sin was. That it was just going to be okay and that you would be able to deal with it. But you realize that there's a greater love and satisfaction in Christ today. If that's you, I want you to just raise your hand with every eye closed and head bowed. Amen. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. If you rose your hand or if you've already made a commitment to Christ, I want you to pray this again out of the reaffirmation of your faith. Say, Lord Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are my life. I believe you died on the cross to make a way for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Be the Savior to my soul. Guide me and direct me. And help me to bring others to you. In Jesus' name. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.